I think what, what Kevin's saying, Roland, is we need to drink more. That is true. I heard that too. I heard that too. See? We don't drink before the show starts. So now we are so thirsty. This is orange juice or whatever. <laughs> oh, that does not look like orange juice, Roland. It's, it's, that looks like hard liquor. It's actually Spindrift with blood orange stuff that I'm drinking. So, uh, yeah. Roland has to prove that he's not drinking on the job. That's the no day drinking, no day drinking <laughs> anymore. <laughs> Welcome to the What's Your Baseline podcast. In this show, we talk about our experiences and lessons learned in enterprise architecture and business process management. What's Your Baseline is designed to be for everyone. Newbies who are just getting started with these topics, organizations who want to improve their EA and BPM groups and the value they get from it, as well as practitioners who want to get a different perspective and care about the discipline. Each episode will tackle different key topics, providing context, background, best practices, and stories from the road, inviting you to learn from our challenges and successes, and demonstrating key tools to help you set up your practice and get the most out of it. I'm your host, Roland Wold, and I'm joined today by my co-host, J.M. Erlinson. Hey, J.M., how are you doing today? I'm doing great, Roland. You know, let me tell you a story. It is our fifth season. And in celebration of our fifth season, I finally took a vacation. Oh, my goodness. I took a little bit of time off work. I mean, people complain I'm a workaholic, my friends, my family, my everything. But I finally took a few days away and nothing was on fire. And you know what? It feels great. How you, how you been, my friend? I'm doing well. I, I obviously don't have any Icelandic uh, adventures to report on. <laughs> but but I made a wonderful coffee with my nice espresso machine. And I had to follow a very prescriptive process, you know, to weigh the, the beans and grind them and then put them into the porter filter and distribute the beans and press them and all that type of stuff. And I was thinking like, that's actually a pretty complex process, especially given the time that I had Ooh. to do it twice because my lovely wife wanted to have a coffee too, including obviously frou-frou, <laughs> steamed milk and all that stuff. And I was wondering if we could create a, a process diagram for this. Yeah, I wonder, do those things, like I know you have a more complicated, like expensive, high quality machine. Do they ship with a process model? They ship with a very easy to follow instructional guide. Is it built for the end user to be able to actually feel like they're capable of using it? Or is it locked behind the arcane knowledge of the barista? Uh, are you are you kidding me? This is not an IKEA machine, you know? No, it was a little booklet, you know. I wish it had pictures in there. But there's some rescue to to this point, you know, because we have today an expert on creating good-looking process models on the show. And I'd like to welcome and introduce you, JM, to Kevin Tran, who actually calls into our recording on a Friday morning, and I'm pretty sure it's still dark outside, <laughs> while JM and I still live in the past. Hey, Kevin, how are you doing today? Glad to have you on the show. I'm good. Thank you. Good morning, everyone. I'm Kevin Tran. Yes, I'm a good-looking process model. <laughs> but when I say good-looking, doesn't mean... Yeah, it's good-looking, but it's very useful and easy to understand process model. Perfect. Did you already have your, your frou-frou coffee this morning, or are you a tea drinker? Oh, I'm a Milo drinker. <laughs> I don't drink coffee. I don't drink tea. I only drink wine and sometimes Milo. It's like hot chocolate. Yeah, yeah. Well, hot chocolate. So did you did you have wine or or your hot chocolate this morning? I don't want to know. Ah, uh, no, not yet. I plan to have some wine this evening. <laughs> so we, we we we're excited to have you on the show. I I know, you know. I got to tell you, I've been seeing a lot of the stuff you've been posting on LinkedIn. I think you've you really made a, a fantastic name for yourself, and I think we're going to talk about the the term that you've you've coined uh, throughout the show. But before we get to that, I think our audience would love to know a little bit more about you. I mean, I'll be honest, if people have been following Kevin and you, if you haven't uh, followed him, <laughs> you should definitely do so. Um, but if if you haven't been following him, you may not have heard a little bit more about his life and who he is. And this would be a great opportunity for you to, to meet him a little bit more. So tell us about yourself, my friend. We'd like to, our audience to get to know you. All right. I'll tell you even a bit more that you can find yeah, on LinkedIn. Yeah, a bit more. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. 
I was born in a tiny town called Mersing in the west of Malaysia. It's about 134 km north of Singapore. The tiny town is so tiny, there's only two roundabout, and all the kids from that town go to the same school. So I study in the school that I know all my friends, I know their brother, I know their sister, then everyone know everyone in the little town common thing. Oh. Yes. The number I think we have at the time maybe about twenty twenty thousand population. So for those who live in the city itself, maybe I don't know, just a few thousand, that's it. And I speak many languages. I haven't counted until yeah, I'm going to attend this podcast. I'm going to tell people how many languages I can speak. So I can speak, uh, of course, English, Mandarin, Cantonese. Those guys from Hong Kong, I can speak my own direct. My mother tongue is Hakka. I can speak a bit of Malay. Maybe now I forgot how to speak Malay. I can also speak, what else? I can speak a little bit of Thai. I can speak a little bit of Hokkien. Yeah. yeah, about six or seven languages. And and I heard you you also have a very mean Australian English uh, accent, don't you, Nate? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yes. I migrated. Yeah, I speak many languages from a young then. I migrated to Austria about 14 years ago from Singapore. So I spent about 16 years in Singapore. Well, so so then the question the question is, how did you get started with this? So you came from a small town in Malaysia. You went to Singapore. When did process start to become part of your life? Like, what is, what is your journey? I will say that the uh, officially journey started when I was maybe uh, 17 years old. Oh. Yes, yeah, 17 years old. 16, 17 years old. Officially journey. This is where I study some kind of IT courses. Then we start to draw some flowchart. I find it, oh, this is cool. I like flowchart. It's just box and line. And at the time, I don't even speak proper English. I say, good, this is how I'm going to communicate with people. Boxes and line, less word. Then I started to work as a programmer. I use process model. Then I started as a business analyst working for um, many companies. So from... And I'm a business analyst almost my whole life. Yeah, I have to learn different techniques like data modeling, uh, use case, or whatever. I can't even remember what I have learned. But everything I do, I couldn't run away from the process model. The process model is always the tool that I use, I rely on, I fall back on when I have to communicate a complex flow or problem to my stakeholder be the programmer, be the, my project manager, be my business people, be the very senior guy. They just want to know what happened. So I fall back to process model because what I found that when I show the model, they see it. They just see it. They just say, oh, okay. Now we can have mm -hmm. a meaningful confirmation. Without the process model, they'll just try to tell you, try to describe what has happened, you know. Took like Sometimes even after half an hour, then we can start talking about the problem. But with the process model, within five minutes, sometimes maximum 10 minutes, everyone on the same page, now we can have a meaningful discussion. How are we going to solve the problem? So truly, seeing is believing. <sighs> yes. I also have to seeing the right thing. Those, if you're seeing something that is just misleading, <laughs> seeing is mis misleading to the genocide. So, so this is so important of the process model. That's why I think... A lot of audience underestimate the importance of a good-looking process model. Well, I, I think that's a really good point here, and you know that, that's the the idea uh, behind this is you want to make something that invites people in. You know, when you use exclusive language, when you purposely obfuscate meaning, you create a barrier to entry. And what is process modeling but a mechanism of communication? So the more barriers you put, the less you're capable of involving others in that communication. I, I, I love a good-looking process model, which I think there's a lot of programmers out there 
who or or people who work in you know using BPMN as their guide and programmatic uh, modeling that are all about just the content. You start with okay, does this have everything? But I think you know when we talk about this today, the appeal is not about completeness. The appeal is about appropriateness. What is relevant to me and what makes me feel like I'm capable of acting on this? I, I dig it. To come back to the topic of the show today, obviously, uh, you created, Kevin, you created something that you call processability. Besides the fact that it's very hard to pronounce as a German, somehow too many consonants in a, in a sequence. But what is that? What, what was the idea for creating this after you explained what it is? And, and can you give us a little glimpse why people should look into this? Okay. Um, processability is just a name that I try to give so people can remember it, right? Easy to remember, but it's important. What is the real objective of processability? There's only one objective. I call it articulative communication for everyone. Mm -hmm. So the everyone here, that means including the technical person, the programmer, can be the very senior person, even the CEO, CEO, the operation manager, the, the person who actually performed the process, anyone that involved in, in the process. So I want the process model to make everyone communicate, articulate it, articulate at the same level so they can exchange ideas, so they can understand each other. So everyone have a fair goal to express what is the problem in the process. Mm -hmm. So with a process model, actually give them the platform. Because some of your stakeholders can be very quiet, sometimes it's very dominant. But with the process model, make everything almost black and white. So everyone can be heard using a good process model. So the main purpose is, I call it articulative communication for everyone. Why this is important? Because I would say that all the problem is because we do not communicate well. This is the source of problem. So we communicate well, then we can deliver the best possible solution that try to meet everyone, the, meet the, the requirement for everyone we try, but at least we know what we compromise. So this is the main purpose. Yeah. And I have that idea is, is because my whole life is a BA. I try to understand problem from everyone, then bring them together. So that's why that is how the process ability is born. Process gives us the ability. Process gives us the possibility. Well, that makes sense. Yeah, I, I've never seen it from that side. But obviously, um, it makes sense because... And I hope I don't put words words in your mouth. You know, the, the biggest challenge that I see in in all the architecture work that we do or process work that we do is people, and you need to get people literally on the same page and and agree on what is reality, what do we see, where do we want to go, and and as you said, what type of compromises do we have to make or roadmap decisions or whatnot in in implementing that goal. That makes sense to me. And also, I want to add in that when it comes to the business process model, as we call business process model in this context, the focus is the business. is not about the system. The system, the data is different layer, is important. But when we drive the entire story, the story of the process is, is the business. Mm -hmm. Because if the business doesn't run, nothing is run. Yeah. Right. So you, you your your plan is to start with the business and and have to to, to make those sort of you say get those ducks in in a row. Once they're ready to go, you can see how the implementation can be carried out. But that's a practical concern rather than a philosophical or strategic concern, right? Yes, have to be business because at the end, business educating. Then you can see even how the strategy actually link to this business process, how the data actually linked to this business process, how the system actually linked to this process, how the people actually linked to this process. So it's a business process, what we want to achieve, we want to sell, sell or deliver at least 50,000 EV in a month. So how do we make this one work? 
manufacturing, delivery. So then I have a question about that. So if, if you think about it, uh, you're starting with business. At what point in time does processability start to open itself up and be, be inclusive to auxiliary teams, technical teams, risk teams, risk and compliance and audit teams? Like where in the curve of the development of your new business processes, do those people play a contribution factor? What what part of the life cycle do they they play a just an informative like when you when you tell them hey we're doing this where, where do you see their role and the timing of that role in the life cycle of process under process building? Good question. I would say the business process model will come into picture at different stages. It really depend on that project and depend on the problem that we are solving. It really depends. So I give you one example. Say, for example, we start with a company start realize there's some problem. Say maybe the uh, some auditor come to say, "Hey, you guys didn't maybe the okay make it up." Say for example, the bill that you send to the customer they are consists of some information that is incorrect. It's not acceptable. So. Let's say that is the problem. Now, where is the business process coming? Then we say, okay, because somewhere start with where, how the billing information is being collected, then how we issue the bill, issue the invoice. Then that is the business process that we start to look at and investigate. Yeah, depend on the problem. Let's say the other problem is that the guy said that now nah, I think that our sales is going down or whatever. We have a competitor coming in something like this, our sales going now, we have to do something. Now we have to look at the bigger picture, zoom up. Then we should look at maybe that the area, how the even the sales team perform, where we get our information to decide how many we want to produce. You know, it really depends on that domain. So the business process actually can start from anytime, anywhere. Or let's say if you have a, we can go to the down level, say maybe there are something that we need to fix, we can map the process in very detail at a lower level. Yeah. I don't know whether you try, I try to explain. So the business model is every from the top mm-hmm. to as low as you go. Yep. As high, mm-hmm. the highest you can go is become the strategic. I just want to save the world. I just want to create a better world. But as low as yeah. I need to make sure system A talk to system B. When you are designing models, visual representations, how are you segmenting them by different stakeholder groups? Are you segmenting them by stakeholder groups? Or are you trying to come up with a harmonized visualization that allows everyone to see the same thing at the same time and understand it all at once? Yes, everyone understands the same thing, same time, all at once. Yes, it's Whoa. crazy. Wait, wait, hold, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. That's why the software coming in, right? That's why the software coming in. I want you to visualize. My main thing is still the business process, right? Step one, step two, step three, step four, step five, whole thing, right? Let's say now my audience, I know that those techie coming in, you know, they talk about the system. So using the two, the process, I can highlight, okay, you see, the system is using is here in step A and step B. And this one key information that connect step three and step five. We can highlight that. So it's a layer of layer, the right information for the audience. Mm, yeah. And you show or hide that information, but you keep it, um, the, the relationships underneath so you can always report out on it? Yes. But I would say even most of the time, I'm actually, I show even those technical information on the diagram itself. As long as it's not too busy, so mm-hmm. you can let the business actually appreciate, okay, cool. I'm doing here. I'm team A. I'm performing this thing. Mm-hmm. But it handed to the team B, handover. And now even the business person start to appreciate, oh, actually, oh, I see that communication, that information actually, how it's communicated. So business can appreciate. So, and the tech, technical person is also appreciate, oh, this is what we need to ensure because it's so critical for them to perform this particular task that actually also lead to a customer satisfaction. So it's actually is all in one because 
in reality, there will not be 50 problems to solve. I believe in that model is only one or two things. Cannot be 50 problems. If 50 problems is too much problem to solve. So we just bring them the attention to that problem they want to solve, they want to improve. So I know you may not believe it. It can be shown in one diagram, just one model that is not too busy. People still can understand and appreciate and see how the whole thing works together. Solve the problem, whatever they like. So, so let's take a step back. That sounds really intriguing. I have to admit, you know, um, because mm -hmm. doing those process sessions is always like herding cats. You know, everybody has their their own story and all those things. But I know that part of possibility, you also developed some principles or some uh, approaches to do the how. You know, how do you manage that complexity? Uh, what are the tips that you have for our audience? how they can improve their process diagramming to create that articulative communication for everyone. The how is, I'll call it, um, there are three pillows. Number one is storytelling. The process must tell a story. Not an excited story. Not Don't make the story exciting, you know. Just make a, a story <laughs> that's easy to follow. Have a begin, the middle, and end. The beginning mm. is what trigger this story, what the business trigger is very important. Mm -hmm. A lot of people miss it. They're so exciting to tell the story, focus to decide what trigger the beginning of the story. Yeah, is the beginning then like defining the how? So I'm thinking about a typical hero story. You know, when you think about Star Wars, you know, the young Luke Skywalker on that desert planet and whatever, right? And Luke Skywalker grows through the course of the movie, you know, to become uh, the hero at the end of the day who who destroys the Death Star, right, and and gets a medal uh, at the end. Um, is it is it like this? So does a story have to have this setting in the beginning, or do you talk more about oh, you need to define your end, your start, and your end events well? to say, okay, we're going to talk about, say, an order to cash process today. Okay, I would say that the start is more like what, without the start, I mean, the entire story will not even exist, will not begin. The entire the process is because of the start, say, because in this case, say, I'm bad in giving up, let's try this one. If you give a start, it's because, say, customer is hungry, Yeah, this is your story because if someone is hungry, then you trigger the process of preparing a pizza. Say, for example, you're hungry, you prepare pizza. That is not a, actually not a good start. So when we define the start of the story, say you have to think, okay, the start story is because you, a desire for pizza mm -hmm. then trigger this making pizza process or actually you're just hungry, then you have this pizza process. So... I have to emphasize uh, the start event is so crucial. In fact, most, some of the time, actually, I spend a lot of time to talk to my subject matter ex expert to, to decide what is really the real trigger to start. Personally, I find that one is um, more challenging. Once you have to start, then you know what is the ending. Someone is full or just full and happy. After you eat the pizza, that's the reason. Oh, he actually has become more strong on nutrition. Nutrition, you know, that's his ending is easy. The start and then the middle part is easier because at the end, whatever you do in the middle will lead to the end. Mm. One of the end that you do want. So, um, then this is storytelling. So the other one emphasize is simplicity. So either the process needs to be simple enough to understand at a glance. All right. Yes. Okay, when I say simplicity, it doesn't mean that make the process look simple. If the actual process is complex, the model will be complex, but looks very simple. That means we can understand a complex problem very easily. Mm. So I do not want people look at the, when the when the stakeholder look at the process. Oh no. It's so easy, just like this. No, 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 it's not as simple because they're so complex involved. 
So the simple means that you can understand the complex thing very easily, simply. So we cannot oversimplify the actual business process and we cannot also make it the complex more complex than it should be. So what I can see is a lot of people have made the processes make the process model more complex than the actual business process or they make it look so simple which is not the true. They give give us the wrong impression. Oh, that's easy. That's how they do things. No. So we want to give the actual just represent at it is at yet simple to understand. When I say simple to understand in the past, I say that, okay, if you can still understand the process model after drinking three glasses of red wine, that is a good process model. <laughs> well, I think this is a great point for us to just take a brief break. Uh, hopefully, people are getting a lot out of this. I'm, I'm really enjoying this. And also, I like to think of us as storytellers. Like, that's a cool thing to, to put on my, my uh, business card alongside process transformation. So let's ask a couple questions and take a brief break as we take you away with some music. Um, the first question, of course, is have you seen processes as a core artifact in your solution design sessions? Where are you with process as a shepherd? And if so, how was that accepted? Uh, and how did you do it? Did you put things just on a piece of paper or did you actually use a digital tool? And regardless of how you did it, what did you get out of it? Did everyone come together literally on the same page? Or did you find the communication issues or disagreements continued after those sessions? We'll leave you for a brief moment and come back with our second section, The How. Baby, you ain't no shooting star. looking at our little cheat sheet here um, and yeah. I, I try to understand and, and Kevin I will ask you for the third ingredient of, of possibility obviously but <laughs> just to understand it correctly because there's a there's a mix of how is the process model being represented um, versus what is the content and I think and I hope I understand you correctly you're referring with simplicity more to the second part of it so when you think about uh, and, and we spoke about that in the business architecture episode, I guess. When you think about how to create a process model, right? I typically like to do this in multiple steps, you know, multiple sessions. And the first one is just getting the process flow right. You know, events, logic, steps, whatever, right? And then I send people home. And after everybody nods and says, yeah, that's the flow. And then in later sessions, we add roles and systems and all that stuff that people start to fight over, you know, because that's my step. You don't do this and all these type of things. So is simplicity this layered approach or, or if, if a process software would do this, uh, like Photoshop, a layered visual representation so that you say, okay, the base layer is your functional flow. The next layer on top of it is the IT. The next layer on top of it is the roles. The next layer on top of it is data, risks, whatever. So, so, and again, I try to understand simplicity versus the third part of your secret source. Did I get that right? Oh, okay, cool. No, actually what you mentioned is that how you want to run the show, you want to have one session doing this and that, I, that is not in the process with it. This is really up to individual how you want to run your workshop. In the simplicity that I mean here is I give you the real example Say, if the notation that you are using is BPMN mm -hmm. 2.0, mm -hmm. a simplicity means that there are 100, I think about 98. Yeah, that's a lot of icons. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Simplicity means that we can just use around maybe 10 or even 7. Most mm -hmm. of the time, we can live with 7 or 8 notation. This is called simplicity. Yeah, mm. use less. Simplicity also applies to how we describe the tasks in your business process model. How we describe it, say, for example, don't have to use the uh, the the to make it grammatically correct. You can take away those joining words. Yeah. 
discussing. But the reason is that the process model is just like a book, right? So we want to help everyone achieve speed reading because we need to get the information fast and create into the head. So when we name the task, have to be very simple, like have to be verb and object and take out the other so people can just yeah. read it like that, like that, like that. So you basically define the, the grammar, right? The, the uh, syntax of what you do. Right by saying, okay, you don't use the hundred plus different symbols that a BPMN has, but you reduce it to the bare minimum that you need, and by doing those, you make it more readable. I want to reveal one of the key perspective that no one, I would say, no one, have to say this before. So far, we talk about visual balance is more for the audience. Yeah, mm -hmm. they understand it, not the. But I tell you, the number one audience actually is yourself. The hmm. guy who model it. Because, test, do this experiment. If you model your process, start with future balance. You're able to see the process better. You're able to ask better quality questions to your subject matter expert when you extract the process. You can see the problem sooner. Same thing applies to your subject matter expert. They can see the problem easier so they can communicate with you quicker. So in fact, the first audience is yourself. I need to tell you a little bit of story, how this started 15 years ago. I joined a company. I was so proud. I thought I'm the best process modeler. You know, I'm good in this. So I model this, blah, 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 blah. Then show to my project manager. He looked at it. Now, Kevin, can you align this box and this box? That's mm -hmm. it. No other comments. Just align the boxes. I say, what? Can you just tell me something? Did I do the right thing? No, this is a complex process. No, no. Align the boxes. You're wasting my time, but it's okay. You're my boss. I just do it. So I start doing it. Then when I half trade aligning those boxes, I realize, shit, I missed out something. I need to go back to ask my SME. Actually, my three does not realize actually there's a, something that I'm missing. But now I see that it doesn't make sense here. This is wrong. So that is called visual balance. It's something so easy to do and give us so much benefit. I call it the, the minimum of effort, but give you a lot of high return. But no one want to do it. I mean, to me, it feels like the easiest thing. Because if people don't want to make ugly things, I don't think so, at least. I don't think anyone intends to make ugly things. But it's possible we don't agree on what balance, visual balance, means. Oh, I, I think most people don't care. Right? They care about when they buy a car, if they get the nice wheels and the high glossy paint and all that stuff. But I think they just don't care when it comes to process models. Am I the weird one? Is I 100%, I 100% space my objects exactly evenly. And when there are two swim lanes or more, I make sure that the objects are also lined up vertically with each other so that it all like looks real nice. My start and end events are already always on the very far left and far right of the canvas. Like I spend, I would say I burn like an extra 25% of my time just making my models prettier. <laughs> You're not alone. I do that too. No, no. Okay. No, no, no. Here, 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 here. I'll tell you something. This is something fun. Right. Cool. Remember that journey started 15, 15 years ago. Yes. When I just came yeah. to Melbourne, right? So what I do is that, okay. So I start with model it. Then I start, after I have the model rough, then I start doing the visual balance it. This how it. Then I realized this on, it doesn't make sense because it's, I'm like redoing what I already done. You already made the process, yet now you spend another half an hour, sometimes one hour to beautify it. I say it doesn't make sense. So what I start changing. So I actually, when I model, when I run the workshop, I actually model with the visual balance in my head. So I will try mm. to achieve visual balance on the go. Not 100%, but at least 90%. And I assume that gives you a little bit more buy-in as well from people as they're watching it. Yes, because 
now everyone's busy. I think the time of you can run a workshop and come back to them three times, five times is gone. No more. They don't have that patience. We run the workshop. They get the feedback immediately. They tell you what's wrong. You fix it on the fly. So it's very quick. So you need to get the visual and get go. Mm. And that one needs skill, not skill. I say, need actually, you just need to do it a few times because I know when you're in the workshop, there's so many things, right? What he said, the complexity, you have to make sure how they feel, you know, they're upset, all these things running, understand the new problem, yet visual balance. But no, you have to take care of it because once you have a visual balance, then you communicate better with them. They tell you the problem sooner. They feel more confidence. So life is easiest. That's why it's so important. Spread the news. I'm 100% with you. It needs to be laid out in a way that it makes it easy to understand for people. And now the fun part. I want to add one more. With storytelling, simplicity, visual balance. Mm -hmm. Sometimes actually they are a good friend. These three, they complement each other. But sometimes they argue. Storytelling, simplicity, and visual balance. So we have to manage these three things. Like sometimes they are, they become a problem with each other because you're overdoing the visual balance, you may sacrifice the storytelling. Oversimplify simplicity, you have create. It doesn't tell the true story. So these three, three, like a triangle, they're pulling each other. So we need to find the right balance when we model it. Case by case. That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. So it's a balance between your balance. Yeah. The meta (laughs) balance. I love it. (laughs) Story balance. I think we're going to go into a little bit more. Story balance, simplicity balance, visual balance. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Correct. Balance, balance, balance. balance. Correct. I'll give the real, real example is that when we do the visual balance, sometimes because of the contents of it, we may need to adjust a little bit of the visual balance to make Okay, I would say energy to tell the story better. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So storytelling is always the main cast. Simplicity and visual balance is the supporting cast. So they have to sacrifice a bit to, to tell the story. Yeah. Makes the, sense. This part. Okay. So yeah, the key actor sense. is still the storytelling. Simplicity and visual balance at the left and right is the supporting cast to make the storytelling better. Not the other way around. Well, it seems like we're having a really good conversation, but I think we got to take another break. I think my brain is exploding just like everyone else. But while we take that break and listen to some fantastic music, let's ask some more questions with people. Because now you've heard about the how and that balance between storytelling, simplicity, and visual balance, and the balance between the balance. <laughs> Where have you found the challenge in creating a story with process? Of those three things, what was your biggest hurdle to overcome? What did it cost you when you didn't do that? Or when you were able to achieve some of that balance between storytelling, simplicity, and visual balance? How did your audience respond? Did you get that buy-in you were looking for? Take a moment to think about it. We'll come back with our last section as we talk about some examples, use cases, and successes. Love won't let you down, won't let you And welcome back to the third segment of our show today with Kevin. And uh, we spoke about, obviously, that the why of possibility. And uh, in the second segment, we spoke about the how, you know, the three pillars of storytelling, visual balance, and simplicity. Um, but Kevin, the, the one question, obviously, that at least makes me curious is the, the, the what, you know, what is the possibility if that is a thing? You know, how do you actually do this? How do you put, to, to quote JM, you know, the motorcycle analogies, how do you put rubber on the road? The how is the storytelling, simplicity, visual balance. The what is actually depend on, you can actually use possibility in any, I wouldn't say in any, it's most of the notation that you are using. So in this case, you can apply it using BPMN, UPN, or even UML. 
I do not know all the knowledge in this world, but I believe <laughs> you can apply mm -hmm. it as long as it has a task and may or may not have streamlined, then have a sub process, then you can apply the same how into the what. Mm -hmm. So in process, really, what I did is that I called a thing called BPMN Lite. So that means a simple version of the BPMN where you use less notation and you follow the processability concept to model using BPMN. Same thing applied to UPN, but for UPN, it's a very simple notation to start with, just one pages, right? Compared to BPM, 493 pages, the manual, or 493, or 94, something like this. So for UPN, <laughs> applying the same concepts of processability, but the what is, I will make it a little bit richer, a little bit richer in UPN plus. So because, yep, so find the right balance. So this is yeah, the what. Yeah, we, we had we had Walter Brill on the show a couple of weeks ago, you know, one of the co-inventors of UPN. And, and he honed in on that. Yes, make it simple, make it simple, make it simple um, on this. I 100% I agree with making it simple. So your advice is to, to stick with the simplicity to reduce the amount of available objects, to reduce the amount of connections and attributes and whatever. You talked before about BPM Lite being a more friendly version of things, right? The reduced symbol palette, and that is understandable. I mean, my question is, and this is something that is, we didn't talk a lot with, with Walter about, but it, it is an interesting thing to think about, is exposure. Because from what I've seen, from different methodologies, different people of different generations and different segments in the industry have vastly different exposures to different methodologies. So for some, they've seen BPMN or, or they've heard the word swim lane. When you say that to them, they instantly go, oh yeah, I know what that is. I am a friend. I'm already on board. Whereas when you say UPN, right, or sometimes when you say UML, they go, oh, I don't know that you're going to have to work to convince me this is worth my time bpmm is become difficult can be a challenging for people to moderate partly is because of the swim lane it's because of the swim lane that make the complication yeah but swim lane is important because this is what people care what i'm doing in their role is their perspective. So we have to find a way to represent it correctly. No choice. So so to in my version of the UPN plus actually I reintroduced the streamland into it. It's so important. But I also heard from JM you mentioned that sometime when we run a workshop, you know, people will get like um uncomfortable, they start saying, I'm doing this, you're doing that, and then they start to, you know, all, all those problems. To me, that is a problem, not because of the model, it's the problem of the people. So it's how we're going to manage those workshops. You have to do it smartly, maybe run different group before bring them together to make them feel heard, their respect, then they can start have a very constructive and positive conversation. It's nothing to do with the model. So I think the model itself, to me, streamline diagram is very important have to have a streamline in order to show different perspective in that process. That is very interesting because I, I actually disagree with you. Um, I think what we have is when you put in swim lanes is the human instinct of uh, uh, owning something. You know, so I, I do this sometimes in, in the workshop, you know, I, I put in on the whiteboard four steps, you know, and put them in columns. And then I draw a line and I say, okay, these three, those are mine. That fourth step, that's yours. Wouldn't it be better if we implement the new process and I, I literally wipe away the four step and draw it in my column, right? And mm -hmm. you should look at the reaction of the people. Their eyes mm -hmm. open, like oh, that person takes something away from me and, and whatnot. And sometimes I use that as a as a shocker mm -hmm. in the beginning to say, look, the process just doesn't care who does it. That's an, an artificial thing that we as an organization put on, you know, distribution of work. Um, 
But at the end of the day, we talk about the process flow, right? What are the steps that we have to do in which logical order? And from that perspective, when you introduce swim lanes too early, you hinder that thinking. You don't get the buy-in because if I take something away from you, Kevin, what's your normal human reaction? It's, I don't like this guy. You know, he's against me. He wants me to lose my job, you know, or whatever thoughts mm -hmm. might come into your mind. And that's the moment where you lose your, your workshop participants. So I think it's, if you introduce swim lanes, and I get off my soapbox in a minute, but if you introduce mm -hmm. swim lanes too early, I think you, you run into that danger. Have you seen that in, in your workshops uh, as well? So from my experience that um, when I always run, when I run those workshops, what I do is that um, I don't bring them together. No. Mm -hmm. So say for example, in any process, there will be like a key player where say 70% of the task is performed by this role or this team. So I will get that out first. Then I start talking to the supporting role in the process, right? Then I understand their needs, their problem, how this whole thing conflict together. Then when it's the right time, then I bring them together in that workshop. And also the trick that I do is that I always want to make it a bigger objective, you know, so, you know, what we want to achieve is this customer satisfaction, blah, blah, blah. So can bring the focus on solving the problem rather than in individual problem. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, this is my, my approach. I think for, for me, this is really, that's why BAS is so important. So it's not just drawing the boxes. It's about how you run the bookshop, how to read, how to sense, how to know where is the tension between the team, you know, to, to how you, how to run it. But to me, you cannot just take away the swimming. Okay, maybe you are right. I, I don't know. I think I would say that different way people run the bookshop differently. Yeah, I don't think that there's a, a right or wrong in this, you know, because people are different. You know, I, I just noticed a pattern over the, the, the couple of years when I've done this. So when we tell the story, not just map the process, we need to look where is the end-to-end. -end. It's very subjective, right? It's really depend on the problem that you want to solve. So, but we try, we have to model the end-to-end -end as far as possible so people can see the how the whole thing gel together, impact each other, the cause and what is called cause and sequence. Uh, yeah, yeah, cause and effect. Yeah, that is very important. So the end-to-end -end process is very important. And also the last one, I call it the analogy visualization. What do you mean by that? So analogy visualization is sometimes we need to explain something so complex, so high level, rather than putting the boxes, we just need to put some picture analogy. That it, that's the end. I can give you one real example on one of the projects that I worked on in the past. So... It's more like the HR department to say that, hey, it seems like the turnover is pretty high compared to other competitors. Our turnover is very high. And based on our some initially finding, it seems like there are certain KPI we didn't keep. You know, then that's why we are losing people. We are not able to get people faster than we can, we want. Yeah. So yeah, we can explain using the model business process is how you recruit people, how you do the training, blah, 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 at the end. So what I did is that I draw an analogy. So what I did is I draw a, a tank, a water tank. Then a pipe try to fill in the water, but there's a hole in the tank. So you keep losing people. Mm -hmm. So the problem is this. Now the analogy is that to solve this problem, yes, you can try to hire people faster, but you also have to do, keep the people longer Yes, there's a leaking. So this is so it's an analogy. That means try to draw some a picture where everyone can see. Oh, okay, cool. Now let's go do the process. But hello. Yeah, actually, I, I'm I'm dealing with this kind of thing right now. I've been going through this process that that almost that exact example for a while, and I do a similar thing. But instead, of, uh, the 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 picture that I draw 
is a little bit more abstract than a water tank. What I, I talk about is the the um, misshaping of a normal curve. If you think about it, you have employees, you would like to think that all your employees are the best as a company, but that's not true. It's kind of a normal curve. There are some employees who are very good, but there are not as many of them. Then most employees fall on the top of the curve. They're fine or they're okay or they're meh, they're okay, not great. That's the bulk of your employees. And then there are a small number that are not very good. And what, what I what I talk about when we talk about retention, that's a big, once again, a big topic that I care a lot about, is what you're doing is you're truncating the top or the, or the front half of your curve. So instead of having it be a normal curve, it looks more like a ski slope. On the, uh, on the back side, it's nice and easy. On the front side, it's double diamond. It's very steep because you've lost all your best people. Those are the ones who leave first. You're not losing your worst employees to natural attrition. You're losing your best employees to natural attrition. Mm. And so the, that ski slope, um, the, the slope of the normal curve, has been a very handy tool for me to try and explain why the, the value is not in hiring more people to try and fill out the normal curve because it's always going to be misshapen even as high as it goes. Mm. But instead trying hard to keep your best so you can let attrition happen more to the other side, a more more gradual curve, which is, I, I think, a, a better shape for an organization. They would like to instead keep their best and have their, their mediocre and worst employees attrit naturally. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, but I, I can see what you mean. The visual analogy is a really important part of that puzzle. And it helps speak the language of the person you're talking to. Yeah. Because they may not see it in the same way you do. Yeah. And then how do you put it all together for an organization? How do you how do you bring all the different pieces together so that you really go down the whole value chain and deliver at the end of everything? Because I know that what you've been talking about is, is really a piece of the puzzle at a time. What does it look like for the whole organization? I think this is going to be the dream, the dream state, right? The how it should look, let's say. To me, I see is that um the idea is that then an organization should have all the process documented in a call, we call it process library or process framework on whatever you want to call it. Yeah. It's like a, then it consists of those end-to-end process. I don't know how you want to call it, but it doesn't matter. But what they're going to get out from there is whenever they're thinking of some problem or they want to do something, they will go to this process collection library. They will know where to go to, to look for it. Yeah. Then from there, they can start solving the problem or making the changes. The truth is that I I like to see things a lot from an end-to-end perspective, right? I like to understand both all the connected pieces as well as how it fits into the overall value chain. And people use value chain, I think, pretty liberally. But when I, th- when I think about value chain, I try to understand what is the sequence of steps that, that does what this business wants, right? How are we going to get to the outcomes? Once again, the outcomes of being making more money, spending less money, de-risking our operations. And it seems like that's certainly a component of things. All the, all the auxiliary components come together with the flow that connects end-to-end for a business. And I, I, I love it. it. It seems like a pretty daunting task to do during a workshop. Because you're pulling the pieces apart, but then you're having to stitch them back together, asking the hard questions, particularly from team to team, as ownership <laughs> becomes a conversation. How do you interact with each other? What do you owe each other? And I, I dig I dig that there's a at least a you've, you've you've created a starting point for conversation that is inviting, rather than what I believe a lot of these workshops, and maybe Roland, you'll grimace with me as well. A lot of these workshops become threatening almost to each participant. There's mm. always people who are dominant in the conversations. And sometimes you have workshop participants who try to uh, show their dominance over you as the facilitator, which is always an interesting thing because I don't think you should be the, the whatever, threatening person in the room. But anyways. Yeah. It's just almost like a methodology of generosity. Kevin, I, I think that... Maybe, would you mind if I called it that? The mm-hmm. process ability is a methodology of generosity, where you are 
creating a more inviting space for people. You are giving them what you think will best reach them and you are facilitating the conversation so they feel most involved. Yes, I would say that. I want to add using another analogy. Please. Just now you mentioned about it's a taunting task, right? Who's the process? And you break it about all, all those things, right? Okay, I want to imagine now is this is an operating theater. We have a patient come in. Imagine we need to do something because, you know, and it seems like it's a life-threatening situation or whatever. The patient is sitting there, lying there. Cool. Processibility is actually... The outcome of the processibility is different kind of those uh, MRI scan or whatever, X-ray screen, whatever thing of that patient. Something like this. That, that is analogy. So for me, I'm about processibility is about how to produce those diagram and models. So as you say, generally, everyone can understand that everyone in this case actually is the surgeon, the nurses, the guy who help run the machine, you know, the monitoring machine. So um, there is different kind of skill set because as a surgeon, when you do it, it's different from the guy who do the model. So processibility is about just model, right? How to solve the problem is to really depend on you too. This is different kind of skill set. Different kind of skill set. Surgeon from the person who take the x-ray. So I am the specialist in taking that x-ray. Occasionally, I do do the surgeon work, but at the end, I find that that is different kind of skill set, which I do not, I don't enjoy. I enjoy the most is produce the model. So I give the surgeon the best information that he can get in the shortest possible time, then he can operate on the patient. Yeah. Well, I, I think this is, a, this is a great point for us to call this episode a fantastic delve into processability. Um, before we go, we're going to leave you with one last break and one last set of questions for our, our wonderful audience. Think about how you run your workshops, the generosity you bring or don't bring to those workshops and your participants. What are the experiences you've had when trying to create models in those workshops. How were those models accepted by your various participants? What were the outcomes that you were able to achieve or what roadblocks did you run into? We'll leave you for a moment and come back with our conclusions and a farewell to the episode. And welcome back after this wonderful conversation with Kevin about possibility. And just as a little recap, we spoke about basically three um, areas of possibility. You know, the, the first one is the why. You know, why do you want to have a good process model? And the, the key topic here is it's the articulative communication for everyone. You know, it's literally bringing people on the same page. And then we spoke about the how, you know, what are the, the three pillars of possibility to achieve that common goal, you know, and the things that we looked at were storytelling as maybe the overarching pillar in this, and then the supporting cast, which is simplicity and visual balance, you know, how to align your, your objects and all that type of stuff. And then lastly, we spoke about the what, you know, how and, and, and what is possibility in the terms of rubber to the road, you know, is it things like BPM and light or UPN and plus or getting the visualizations and have analogies in there as well as looking to the full end-to-end -end process. Now that people listen to you and, and they want to learn more about possibility and, and what you do, well, where can they go? Always, I would say come to my LinkedIn, come to my website, www.processability.com. Follow my LinkedIn. I will continue to put more video from today on microlearning, talk about processability, how to do the storytelling, simplicity, visual balance. I will also continue to give more information about why articulative communication for everyone is important. 
just come to my LinkedIn, follow my uh, micro learning videos. I'm a person that I always believe, I always continue to learn. I don't know what I do not know. So I love any kind of engagement. There's no question that is wrong. There's no idea that is right or wrong. I'm open to anything. Just like the Bruce Lee said that um, for me, I follow Bruce Lee philosophy is that we um, discard what is useless, adapt what is, uh, take what is useful, then actually and adapt to see and develop something that is uniquely yours. So same thing for the processability is that you just use it to your organization, then you adapt and refine and make it something that is uniquely works for your organization. So it's just a mindset, it's a technique, so it's not a rule, don't just follow it blindly. So take it, use it, whatever works for you. Yeah, and I will put all the links to your website, to your LinkedIn profile, all that stuff into the show notes. So nobody has to take notes, even in season five, don't take notes while driving. And you can reread it on the show notes and people can get in contact with you. And that's a perfect pitch for the show notes. <laughs> My goodness. Thank you so much, Kevin. It was a wonderful, wonderful chat. And I'm really, I'm really excited to put this episode out and talk a little bit more about visual storytelling and process modeling. Now, for those of you who've been following along, uh, you know what we do at the end of every episode. We thank you, our listeners, for joining in with us on this really fun little jaunt. Um, we, we have lots of great information on whatsyourbaseline.com. So please head over there or for specifically for this episode, you go to whatsyourbaseline.com slash episode 52. But until the next one, I've been J.M. Erlinson. I'm Kevin Tan. And I'm Roland Volt. And we will see you in that next one.